According to NerdWallet, right now, the average bank small business loan is between 3.19 and 6.78%. That's still dirt cheap, although dirt is getting more expensive these days. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure, where we may be heard to say embarrassing things. Like we deem. Yes, we do. So before we start talking about what we like to talk about. We have to talk about other things that we kind of like to talk about. Disclosures. Yeah, we're weird. Why do we like this to talk about disclosures? Because um, part of what we do, and we'll even talk about that in the disclosure, uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this program. It's also the name of the business that is represented by the same two guys that are talking on the radio. The personal wealth coach. The business is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission as an investment advisor. What does that mean? It means it has to offer fiduciary advice and fully disclose conflicts of interest and all fees and compensation. Okay, that's working with individual people. We can't do that on the radio. So even though we're the firm and the people representing the firm are the same people as on the radio here, this is an educational program rather than advice. We're not going to tell you what you should buy or sell on here because that would be advice and we don't know who you are. It'd be like saying nobody should buy a backhoe. Well, some people clearly need to buy a backhoe and other people it would be a serious waste of their money. So Just because that firm and we are registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC has in any way given their approval or attaboy to us. That's just the regulatory authority. It's like, that'd be like saying, I do my taxes through the IRS so they like me. Nope, that's not what government does. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So uh, saying that this is educational even though the firm's registered as fiduciary. Also, if we're giving advice on the air, you could probably sue us because everybody's listening and advice that we give has to be customized to the person. That'd be a serious privacy violation, all kinds of issues there. That's why we like to give disclosures. On this educational program, we come up with information. Would you like to tell them about that information? Wow, that was an impressive disclosure. Um, (laughs) The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to its accuracy or completeness. That was that was also quite a disclosure. Mm-hmm. I think probably news broadcasts should have that disclosure. Yeah, why, regulated by the SEC. Why do you like giving that disclosure so much? I don't know. Why do I like doing what I do so much? I don't know. Why do I like? Why do I like? Digging through lots and lots and lots of mutual funds and trying to find the what I think will be the best performers in the lowest cost mutual funds. Because we're weird. Why do, I, it's, it's why. why do I get a big thrill out of allocating portfolios and meeting with I don't know. It's I say, just weird. I say the word Excel to some people and they turn green in the face and look like they're going to um, show me what they ate. 
And I get this feeling of fluttery butterflies when I think about spreadsheets. Now, for some reason, I'm still able to speak to people in a semi-coherent way where most of my friends that are Excel people will speak to me in Excel language. And when we leave that language, it gets very awkward. So I don't know. I, I am gifted in being able to translate Excel. That's another disclosure. There we go. Yes. Um, disclosure in that we like to read prospectuses. Weird. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, now you've gone beyond my kin. That's too hard even for you? I don't like to read prospectuses. I like reading about prospectuses from people who read prospectuses. But it's a real pain in the butt to read a prospectus because it is the it is not written to be read by normal human beings. Yeah, so this is why I like to read them. I point at them occasionally and go, "I know what you did there." <laughs> <laughs> so I have this little like, "I'll get you." I know, I know. So that's another another disclosure. That's a disclosure, yeah. We're yeah, about who we are. We're also bald. Um, Jeff is bald with a white beard, and Jake is bald with the salt and mostly, pepper mostly black mostly pepper little salt much, your beard is much longer than mine yes uh your age is much older than mine so jeff is my dad i'm jake and most people don't know that in listening to this program we have been working together for 31 years and we're both alive still which is amazing father son Teams generally end in mayhem, homicide investigations and things like that. Somehow we're still hanging out. Speaking of reading prospectuses. Oh, we got we do have to get to the market too. I mean, but what? We just go got ahead. our question from the guy you were concerned might oh, be yes. ill today. We, yes, we were concerned about you, Inquisitor John, because we hadn't received one yet. We were Hoping you were okay. Man, that is an interesting question. We'll get to that. Yes. I'm, All right. This is a good one. It's about invested in le investing in leveraged assets. We'll, we'll get to that one. It's leveraged a assets. <laughs> <laughs> we'll explain why we think that is humorous. Uh, Look, a a cold sweat broke out on my forehead. When it's the nervous laughter of why would anyone do that to themselves? Okay. Well, what happened in the market? Well, it was an interesting week in the market. Actually, the market was still doing its thing, saying, okay, we pretty much got this figured out. Everything's cool. Until first the Fed, the Federal Reserve's notes from its last meeting last month came out, and they looked at that, and, they, and the market actually rose a little bit after that. And then, ugh, it's terrible. Voting members of the Federal Reserve Board. These are the people, the, there's, there's members of the Federal Reserve Board and then there's the voting members of the Federal Reserve Board. And the voting members of the Federal Reserve Board started giving speeches saying, golly, guys, we're really, really, really serious about raising interest rates. We are really, really, really going to raise interest rates. And some of them, enough of them that scared people, said at their next meeting in September, we're leaning, I am leaning towards raising interest rates three quarters of 1%, short-term interest rates. And this immediately started a mild, very mild panic in the market um, uh, where people said, oh, no, no, they're going to overtighten. They're going to do terrible. The world's going to come to an end. Run, run, run. Our words to that effect. Um, so what happened, if you look one week at a time as we do, 
after rising for four weeks, the S&P 500 index reduced its value, was reduced in value by 1.21% for the fell to 4228.48. Now let's look at that from a little different perspective. It is now down 11.78% from its high in January. And if it had, if, if you looked in January at the peak of the market and you came back and looked now, we just barely be in a correction. Um, but it's up 15.23% from its low in June, which means we're not back in the bull market yet by some definitions. It is now down 4.8% from a year ago, but is up 47.57% from three years ago. I know there's a lot of numbers. The one, if you're an investor, that I recommend you focus on is the 47.57. If you are an investor and not a speculator, and I don't think we have a lot of speculators who listen to this radio program, then you're in it for hopefully at least 10 years when you invest. Three years is a relatively short period of time, but still, you if you're looking at three years, you still are in the general heading of investor. 47% in three years. Golly bum, guys. That is a heck of a rise in three years. It is way above historic norms. Um, and why do we use why do I say why three years? Well, that takes us back before the pandemic. It's like if the pandemic, if you had gone away three years ago and come back and found that the S&P 500 was up 47.57%, you'd be absolutely thrilled. As opposed to the people who say, oh, no, we're in a bear market. The world's coming to an end. Our words to that effect. Well, anyway. Well, the we world, follow another saying the world is coming to an end. Maybe a long way in the future, but it is coming to an end. And, and if you consider it from simply the geometry of it, the end of the world is the surface of the planet. And all you have to do is jump upward and you have jumped off the edge of the planet. So we have reached the end of the planet of the world and it is wherever you are. Yeah. Well, in a metaphorical sense, the end of the world is the end of, of existence for civilization. So nah, it's not happening. But the planet could, well, it just seems very egocentric to call the world civilization. If you know what I mean, you know, well, yeah, but we are egocentric. Anyway. Okay, back to the market. The other equity index we follow is the CRSP mid-cap value index. Why? Because the S&P 500 tends to be large-cap growth companies, very large companies where the stock is priced, the stocks of the companies are priced in the market based on their presumed growth in earnings into the future. Um, the other side of the S&P 500 is, the, is a section of the market that's called value where the stocks are generally priced, the, the stocks of companies there are generally priced uh, according to their perceived internal value metrics. In other words, this, if you look, it's kind of like if you're buying a piece of real estate, odds are you'd look at the value of the real estate. Uh, the value, if you were to, uh, if you're buying a real estate company, you look at all of its real estate and say, what would be the value if we sold all those pieces of real estate? And if the stock price is above the value of the real estate is probably a growth company. If it's below the value of the real estate or at the value of the real estate, the real estate company owned, it'd be called a value company. So that's a different kind of company. And we look at mid cap because there are no small caps in the S&P 500. So mid cap is the smallest part of the S&P 500 oriented in is the part mid cap values oriented on value. So it's the other corner of the S&P 500. Anyway, it is it, it dropped 1.20% this week to 2471.19. That's the CRSP mid-cap value index. It's now down 4.85 from January when it hits high. But it is up, and I think this is fascinating to me, 
It is up 0.73% from one year ago. Yay! First time in a long time we have seen a positive one-year return in the market anywhere. And there it is. Um, it's pleasant. And I like it. Not that it means anything. Um, so the concern in the stock market, by the way, this week was that the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates too far, too fast, and cause a recession, which is an interesting concept by itself. The other concern in the market right now is that the Federal Reserve will not raise interest rates fast enough and far enough and will have runaway inflation. So so it's the fear versus the fear, waging yes. a battle. Right. It's fear versus fear. Um, and, and by the way, that is another indi indication that we're in a bull market. There's an old saying, a bull market climbs a wall of worry. I know that by suggesting we're in a bull market and have continued to be in a bull market during this down period in the market puts me in a very small minority. But yeah. I think this is a temporary interruption in a secular bull market. Okay. And all I have to do is point to the 47.57% rise in three years and say, <laughs> you're not called, you're calling that a bear market? Anyway. But you, you can you can say that this is this is my quibble here. This is word nerd uh, 101. You could say that about the entire history of the market and say it's never had a bear market because the long term of the market return is so, so positive. I would beg to differ with you on that. I mean, I'm just taking it to its logical conclusion. If you say a 20% drop isn't a bear and you say if we look at three years or longer... So this is a valid argument, by the way, because one of the things that our firm that we do is we take monthly numbers rather than daily numbers when we're measuring ups and downs in the market. And that means that while the market had a bear in our data, it didn't appear for several months. And both yeah, I mean, ways of measuring are extremely valid. <laughs> we kind of feel like it had a cow. Right. We had a bit of uh, a cow. Yeah. Well, I, I would consider the period of time from 1973 to 1982 to be a bear market. A secular bear market, because we had little bulls right. in there, too. Yeah, so th this is a secular bear market. This is why we talk about secular and cyclical. And I know people have trouble understanding the difference between bear and bull. And now we're adding to it. One of them's on a bicycle, and one of them is not a priest. A secular bear and a cyclical bear. Just imagine that for a second. Oh, boy. Anyway, <sighs> yeah, we are in. we are in and continue to be in what is known in academia where they have the nuts, you know, the academia nuts. Um, right. With, for the bears on the bicycles. Is, yeah. Right. Uh, we're in a secular bull market. Now, secular what, bull markets don't last forever, but this one looks pretty healthy. Anyway, let's yeah, go just, on just one more piece because we've thoroughly confused them now, but we've given them all the anchor points to actually remember this. A secular bear or a secular bull is a much longer trend. And if you look at like history throughout time and you look at industrial revolutions, you, we entered a secular bull market there. And then you have a drop in that and there's a, a secular bear market. Now you can have little bulls and little bears running around in the middle of that mix, which causes it to be cyclical. These are just normal part of uh, any business growth. There's not a great deal of new technology or there is a great deal of new technology. If there's a lot of new technology, bull, bear markets tend to be short. Right. So that's a the, secular 
bull. It, it, it might help people to recognize something and, and because people like to tie politics to the market. The secular bear, the last secular bear we had, began with our losing in Vietnam and Richard Nixon. And a lot of the, our listeners remember Richard Nixon, and they remember us losing in Vietnam. And the Jimmy Carter never actually said this, but it was credited to him. The uh, national malaise has fallen across the country or something to that effect. Um, I don't know why, why he was talking about mayonnaise. What? what? Right. Yeah. Malaise. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and he was right. And we did have some problems. And the secular bull that we're in began during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. No. It began with, oddly enough, two severe recessions generated by Paul Volcker, who Jimmy Carter appointed to the position and who probably lost the presidency for Jimmy Carter. And uh, Ronald Reagan can, leaving him in place so he could start another recession. And from that, we began a secular bull market. And we can get into yeah, that more later. Really but we didn't talk about the end the, the, the information revolution really started at that point. That's when computers mm -hmm. really took off. And that's why we've been in this. We're not done tapping new bits of that technology. We think we're still in a right. secular bull. Right. Exactly. Anyway, boy, that's <laughs> that was a big in, big rabbit trail in the news about the market. <laughs> if you're inside a bull, it's kind of dark. Anyway, yeah. the ten year US Treasury note yield. Now, why do we report on the ten year US Treasury note yield so consistently? Because it is the benchmark for all other interest rates. Uh if it rises, other interest rates tend to rise. If it falls, other interest rates tend to fall. The ten year US Treasury note yield climbed uh, this week as the stock market fell. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you owned a portfolio of bonds, as the stock market went down this week, so did your portfolio of bonds, which kind of disabuses a myth. There's this myth out there that if you own stocks and bonds, when the stocks go up, the bonds will go down. When the bonds go up, the stocks will go down. Ain't happened in some time. Never was consistent. Uh, it was a mild anomaly at one point, and somehow it got stuck in our brains. It just ain't so, folks. Uh, anyway. in, in academia, that's called stocks and bonds generally tend to have a positive correlation there. That's, that means they, no, they have a positive. It's just not a high positive correlation. Uh, well, well, I'm going to. That's what, it's just what you said, that they tend they to tend go to down and up at yeah. the same time. So anyway, there you go. The 10-year U.S. Treasury note ended the week yielding 2.97%, which is up about 4.75% from where it was last week, which means interest rates went up at the 10-year point. The Treasury yield curve remains inverted. The two-year note, and this is how the best way to measure the Treasury yield curve to determine what it's trying to communicate, if it's trying to communicate anything. The 10-year yield on Treasuries is 2.97. Well, since 2.9, no, since 2.97, is 2.97 and the two-year note is yielding 3.23 percent that means the two-year note has a higher interest rate than the 10-year note and that's called an inverted yield curve inverted yield curves let's let's put it like this every recession has been preceded by an inverted yield curve but every inverted yield curve does not create a recession you can that's that's like an, we can think that's about like that. an sat question all chickens have feathers. Not all feathers have chickens. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> so the treasury yield curve could be 
forecasting uh, a recession sometime in the next 18 or so months. Uh, and, and historically, about 80% of the time when it does that, we get a recession. However, it always could be part of the 20%, and it could be different because the Federal Reserve is doing some things they've never done before with the interest yield curve. That's all beside the point. West Texas this is the good news now. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, which is the stuff they pump out of the ground in West Texas that eventually becomes the gasoline that you burn or diesel or whatever you burn in your vehicle. It dropped 2% to $89.97 per barrel. That's good news which, to a lot of people and bad news to a few people. Right. Well, I don't They really want that price to stay up because that's all profitability because they own know, the oil that they're selling. But those are the people who remember when it when when you had to pay somebody forty dollars to take a barrel of their yes. oil off their property. This is still good news for them compared to that. <laughs> M- much better than that. And there's a whole wealth of questions in my mind that haven't been answered as to why the price of oil is this inexpensive at this point, considering that a very significant portion of the oil supply for the planet, Russia, Russia's oil supply is mostly not being delivered right now. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but the pri- and, and I got some partial answers to that, but mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. Anyway, that is the big stuff in the market. There's lots of other stuff in the market, but you don't want to hear it. Yeah. Well, maybe they do, but we, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, maybe we do. We just don't have time. I have um, some interesting news on housing sales and so on. Uh, what yeah. what do you have to talk about? Well, we can talk about housing. We can talk about but the general economy. I think is important to take a look at. Every indicator that I see in the economy says the economy is running a little over its sustainable capacity. In other words, the economy is running really, really strongly. It has a lot of momentum, and one of my prime indicators is Walmart. Uh, I'm not recommending Walmart stock, but I can tell you that after warning that they were going to have some problems uh, in the second quarter, uh, during the second quarter and, and, and before they released their earnings, the CEO issued a warning that they were going to have a problem because they built up a bunch of inventory. They ordered a whole bunch of stuff during the pandemic that didn't come in. They ordered some more and people wanted it really, really badly and the shelves were empty. And then they ordered some more. And of course, as soon as the Supply chain started to relax, which it has done largely at this point. All those orders came flooding in. And at that moment, as the way retail works, um, consumers said, oh, we don't want to buy as much stuff from Walmart anymore. We want to go out to eat now and go to the movie. And Walmart said, "Uh, but we ordered all this stuff because you wanted it. Oh, yeah, well, that's your problem. So Walmart. Target and other big box retail stores, they warned, we're going to be dumping a lot of inventory. It's going to hurt our earnings. Then something interesting happened. The whiplash whiplashed one more time. And after going out to eat and going to movies a few times, people said, no, I think I'll go back to Walmart and buy a bunch of stuff. So Walmart's earnings in the second quarter, which they just reported, are up 23% over the previous year's earnings at the same time, and they were doing really well the previous year, and they both Walmart and Home Depot, who are two indicators in my book, basically broke records for high earnings. They, uh, they, their, their revenues are up, their, uh, their um, profits are up, 
they're going wonderfully and having a great time. And according to the earnings call from the CEO, it has continued through the summer that people are buying a lot of stuff. They're buying a lot of stuff from Home Depot. They're buying a lot of stuff. Stuff is, by the way, what economists call goods. But I think it's unfair that you call it goods because if, you, if you're in a symmetrical universe, and I think we are, there should be bads. Well, I but mean, bed bath, bed, bath and beyond is probably where the bads are. Well, there's another thing. If you're getting little plastic stuff, we would call that goods, but they're not goods very long. They're generally become bads very quickly in these. So it's just a stage in the, in the life but, cycle of goods. But in German, the word bad, B-A-D, is a bath. So bed, bath and beyond would be bed, bod and beyond. So yeah. there's where the bads are. And right down, now it's beyond bad. It's, at yeah, the moment. It's, it's, yeah, it, 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 bed, bad and beyond is probably a good name <laughs> for it at this point. But what, what I'm saying is we are having a rip-roaring economy that's still going very, very strongly. Uh, there are some indications, and Jake wants to talk about those with the housings, and we can discuss that too. I think there's a very good reason for the housing sales slowdown. that has nothing to do with the economy. But uh, uh, the general economy, and if you get this, is going very strongly. Yes, the yield curve is inverted. That sometimes precedes a recession. However, if the Federal Reserve is quietly, which I think they are, selling bonds on the open market at about the two and three year point, two, three to seven year point, which is where they, which is about the maturity they have to sell, that would cause bond prices to go down in that time range and thereby the yields go up, and that would produce an artificially inverted yield curve in treasuries. If that is what's happening, then we don't ever have any record of whether the yield curve inversion caused recessions in the past or was just an indicator of something else. It's kind of like if you heat somebody up in a sauna, that doesn't mean they have a fever. But It if, doesn't mean they're getting sick. Does, it might mean that they'll overheat. It could mean they'll overheat, but if, so you, this if is, somebody this goes is a, a test and takes, takes their temperature as they leave the sauna, you will say, oh my God, this guy or this gal or this there or this them or whoever they are um, has got a fever, they're sick, send them to the hospital. No, they just came out of the sauna. So but it could be that the Fed has turned the heat up in the sauna a little bit, and therefore we're getting an inverted yield curve. Because yeah. I, I just frankly am not seeing the things out there that normally precede recessions. So, yeah. And I'm going to come in with the other side of this. This is because we're economists. This is what we do. And it may sound like this is a disagreement. It's not. You have to look at both sides of everything. Okay. Yeah. Snot. Yes, snot. Snot a disagreement. It's not. On the radio, too. Ew. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, w when you think about the yield curve, and why would an inverted yield curve be in any way an influencer on why you have a, a recession? Well, most business loans take place in that two to five year area in the bond market and small businesses. They don't want to get a 30-year loan to buy a piece of equipment. It just doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem like a good idea. So they're getting us a, a shorter-term loan. When interest rates in short-term loans go up, regardless of who's selling into the market, it makes it more expensive 
for businesses to expand. That's a piece of friction on the flow. It's it's not necessarily slowing you, but it's certainly not going to let you speed up for the same amount of, of energy. It's, it's causing you to have to burn more energy to get the same effect, if you will. So there's some friction here that's being added in there. And that's kind of the leading rationale for when, when people say, why is it so regular that the yield curve inversion causes a recession? So this is the first time that during the measurement that we've been able to measure the actions of the Federal Reserve because they've been extremely secretive over the majority of the Federal Reserve's history, where they may be the ones that are causing this inversion. It has the same effect. It's going to slow spending. It's going to cause things to get more expensive. But it's kind of a new tool, or at least new to the people watching. They may have had this tool in the basket for years, and this is the first time we're seeing it. They're not really announcing that that's what they're doing either, except that they are saying that they're selling $30 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities and about the same in treasury securities. And if they're just aiming in that area, that's $60 billion a month in that little middle area, which seems to be about the right amount to get a, the inversion that we're seeing. So how's that for a lot of really long-winded explanation of something most people don't even know exists? Makes sense. But this is my point. As a business owner, according to NerdWallet, right now, the average bank small business loan is between 3.19 and 6.78%. Right. That's still dirt cheap, although dirt is getting more expensive these days. So despite the fact that we apparently have an inversion in should be seeing higher interest rates for those typical intermediate-term bank loans. We're not. And, and a big part of that is there's so much money still sitting out there in, in bank accounts that belong to these businesses. So they don't feel in great need of going out and getting a loan. That would push the interest rates up even faster. They feel good on the reserves. And, and that so, means that we don't see a major problem. They're not using loans for the expansion. But we're about out of time. And one of the things I saw this month that caused me to think that inverted yield curve doesn't mean a lot right now is the fact that we saw in July a significant increase in business equipment purchases. When interest rates go up for business loans, businesses tend to slack off on the business equipment purchases. And in fact, they rose. And a lot of that was cash purchase and there's no interest rate issue there. But some that, the, of it also and, is and borrowed. Some of it is borrowed. But what I'm saying is that we have this big cushion that's never been there before when we've measured inversions. And that cushion is exactly what you're talking about. If sales aren't falling off of those big purchases, then the reason why the inverted yield curve in the past has caused a recession, it may not work this time. There you go. Yeah. And right, we we're about out of time like for this hour. One minute. One in the left of this hour. We've so we got to tell who we are again. Yeah. Um, we've got another hour coming up where we will talk about just as interesting statistics as what we, yeah. There's a lot of people that are drooling on the floor at this point. But this is the personal wealth coach. And we do actually give personalized, customized fiduciary investment advice and portfolio management to people of, of higher net worth. Um, and you can talk to us off the air about that stuff. Uh, we've got voicemail waiting during the weekend, but real live people, no phone trees during the week. 
Uh, you can find that number locally at 254-947-1111. Or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. It's weekly. comes out on Friday evenings. You can read the newsletter going back a long ways on the website. You can download the radio programs going back a long ways and then go to podcasts wherever they are. Contact us through email at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.